will, we're going to journey to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. And we're going to read the end of the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica. We have been in this, this particular book over the latter several weeks. Though I did not intend to choose this passage, the Holy Spirit seemed to quicken this in my heart and mind. And though we won't read all of the, in, the ending of the chapter, we're going to read verses 12 through 24. We're going to read it methodically. We're going to read it slowly. I'm going to add commentary to it as we, uh, as we search for what God is saying to us out of this text. Now, often, if you read the Apostle Paul's epistles, you will find that oftentimes he doesn't necessarily summarize what he has previously written in his final words of exhortation, but what he rather does, it's almost like little nuggets of just last bit, don't forget, almost like this to a parent that would be leaving instructions for a child or a teenager or a young adult at your home and you were going to leave them a note. You would give some blunt statements and you'd say, make sure trash taken out on Tuesday. Make sure feed dog. Wash your own clothes. No partying. Come on, somebody. Amen. And just little bullet statements. Oddly enough, the Apostle Paul uh, does some of this himself in this passage of Scripture as he's, as he's exhorting this, uh, the church. Now, let's look at the 12th verse to begin with because God has quickened something. And if you'll stay, some, if you'll stay with me, I'm, God's going to illuminate to you a mystery that can help alter your faith and can, can spark a thanksgiving in your heart before the Lord. He said in the 12th verse, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you and the Lord and admonish you. So first of all, the apostle here is saying it's the responsibility of the church to make sure that they're in fellowship with their pastor or pastors, that there's a communion, a relationship, that you understand a measure of their character, that you understand a measure of convictions by which they have uh, chosen to align themselves with and that they, that they themselves walk by. The apostle here is saying, you got to know those. you got to be in relationship. I want to encourage you. If you're on the perimeter of our church, you need to get on the inside of the fold. You need to get off of the fence. You need to be more than just somebody that comes and quickly slips out. You need to be in relationship. You need to be able to say, that's my pastor. Those are my pastors. We are a fellowship together. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And I'm going to show you that's an important part of where we're going with this message because I believe that God has blessing that is in store for the people of God that he flows through an order. This order is that God has put men and women in places of ministry and leadership and God speaks blessing through them, going all the way back to the Aaronic priesthood blessing so that when pastors have an anointing on their life, they're able to minister to people and speak life, speak favor, speak blessing. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And that you then begin to receive and it affects you in a very very positive way. So you know those that are over you. In the Lord, and they're admonishing you. 
Here the apostle says, you should esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, for their work's sake. There's a comparable passage of scripture once again in the book of Hebrews, the 13th chapter. I quoted the 15th verse earlier, but in the 17th verse, the scripture says, obey those who have rule over you of Hebrews 13 and 17. Obey those who have rule over you and submit yourselves that they may Take their leadership over you with joy and not with grief. Listen to this, that it might be profitable unto you. So Paul here again is, is, is sharing a similar principle that in the context of the body of Christ, God has given to us men and women, placed them in our lives that are over us in the Lord. They watch over your souls. That's what Peter said. We watch over your soul. We pray for you. We undergird you. We exhort you. We give you counsel when necessary. And hopefully we give you good doctrine. Come on, that strengthens your life because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We guard our lives and protect our lives, not just for the sake of our family or for our children, but for your sake so that you can have confidence to a degree not to put somebody on a pedestal, not to make an idol out of a preacher or a pastor, but that you can have confidence because when somebody lays hands on you, you want to make sure, come on, that that man or that woman of God is true to their calling and that they're, a, they're, they're genuinely, uh, uh, you know, sincere in faith and that they're placed over you you in the Lord. So it's a very important principle because when you do so, then it then transcends into the rest of the body and then you become at peace among yourselves. Then you you're not the person that's always causing conflict. Hello? You're at peace. You're at peace with the body, you're at peace with the pastor. I'm telling you, God does not bless confusion. He doesn't bless whether it be in your house or the church house. He doesn't bless confusion and contention, and he can't bless things that are out of order. There's a flow to the Spirit of God. And when there's order in the house and when you're at peace with people around you, when you're at peace with the leaders of the body, then that order is being followed and the Spirit of God can begin to move in a very special way. So we're seeing this unfold here. He said, so then in the 14th verse, we exhort you, brethren... So now you have a responsibility to each other. It's not just the pastors, but we have a responsibility to each other. So now 14th verse, we exhort you, brethren, you have to warn those that are unruly. Now, that might be your neighbor at your side. That might be somebody you're in Sunday school class with. Unfortunately, that might be your spouse that you rode to church with this morning. But here it says, warn those who are unruly, but then comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, but in all this, be patient towards all. We can warn, and we can comfort, and we can support, but we cannot change anyone. We have to wait on God. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? He said here in this passage, so you just be patient, and you trust in God to work the change. You be consistent in your faith. You be willing to share things if the Lord lays something in your heart, not in a condescending or a condemning way, but in love, you again warn the unruly, you comfort the feeble-minded, and you support the weak, but we're patient towards all men. We're trusting God that he's the one that's going to work a change in the lives of men and women. Amen? In the process of this, we, we then recognize 15th verse, C that you don't render evil for evil to any man because not everybody's going to respond positively to you. 
right? Even when you have a pure motive to help somebody, not everybody's going to respond positively towards you. Sometimes they're going to give evil for your goodness. But the apostle said, be very careful here that then you don't render evil for the evil that's shown to you. You've got to guard yourself. You can't always just backlash. You can't always just respond. You've got to get control of your emotions, right? Don't get, live in that world of, well, you know, that's just who I am. No, God expects you to change, right? You're going to be kind. You're not going to be brought in. You're not going to render evil to evil, but you're going to follow after that which is good. You're going to make sure that you're following the right thing before God. That's why we as believers, we must discern. We must become discerning, maturing in our faith, recognizing the things that are good. Because if it's good, that's what I want. If it's evil, that's what I want to reject. He said, so follow that which is good among yourselves and to all men. So these are principles that are being worked out in your life. The Apostle Paul started with the process. He said, first of all, make sure you're in fellowship and communion with your pastor and your leader because that starts the blessing. That starts the flow of the anointing of God in your life. Then make sure that you're working cohesively together with the people that are around you because God wants you a part of a family of faith. He doesn't want you to be just out there on the perimeter where church is nothing more than your seat that you sit in and you hear a message and you dissipate at the end of the message every Sunday and we don't know anything about you. You don't know anything about us. We're not getting any good out of you. What I mean by that is you're not adding your gifts and your calling to the good of the body. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? And he said, so you've got to find your place in the body of Christ we got to care for one another, take care, minister to one another, let our gifts function. We're going to be patient because God's going to work change in the lives of everybody. We're not going to change people. God's going to change people. We're not going to show evil even when somebody that might uh, we sold good into their life and they showed us evil for it. We're not going to retaliate with another recompense of evil, are we? We're going to trust God to deal and work all those things out. And then he said... And when you're doing this and when you're living life this way, when you're walking in confidence before God and you're functioning in the body the way that God's designed you to function, then you can rejoice evermore. Then you can have a smile on your face. I know life can be painful. I know life can be traumatic. I know you can suffer loss. Everyone under the sound of my voice has had a relationship go sour. Everyone under the sound of my voice has buried a loved one that was dear to their heart. And you sobbed and you wept. But the apostle here says that it's still possible. It's still possible for the born-again believer in Christ to have a supernatural joy working in his heart and life that no matter what's going on around him or what he's gone through, he can still rejoice in the Lord. Let me go a little bit farther in that today. The Bible tells us to be glad, to be cheerful. The reason why I believe the apostle could say to the congregation at Thessalonica to rejoice evermore is because our rejoicing is not bound to our present plight or our present situation. Our joy and our rejoicing is bound to God's goodness and to the hope that we have in Christ. Let me tell you what Jesus told his disciples uh, be right before his betrayal and his subsequent death and then resurrection. He said in John 16 and 22, he said, And you now, therefore, you have sorrow. 
but I will see you again, and your heart's going to rejoice. And then he said this, and this joy, no man can take that joy away from you. Let me tell you, there are people in prison around the world for preaching the gospel in a Muslim country or a communist country. And I want you to know today, in that jail cell, separated from their family, maybe going through harsh physical living conditions, not knowing whether today they will live or die, they can have joy unspeakable and full of glory because it's not tied to their present situation. It's tied to God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That God hung his son on a cross so that you and I could have life and have it more abundantly in the eternal life that God has now given to us. And when you get that joy down inside you, I want you to know you can still go through difficult seasons rejoicing. Let's go a little farther. Paul said, we are all as sorrowful, but we're always rejoicing. Paul said, I've been in sorrowful situations. I've suffered loss, but it didn't take away my joy. Some of you need to get a new baptism of joy in your life. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is dependent upon calm, peaceful, serene situations. Joy is a work of the Holy Spirit that can thrive in any environment. It can live in any environment. It doesn't matter whether it's a dark day or a bright day. Joy can still shine forth because it's a work of the Spirit of God in your life. Eight times in the Scripture, the authors of the Bible say rejoice in the Lord. And the Apostle Paul, writing in another text, copied from those other eight authors and said this. He said, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. So I want to encourage you today that in your Christian faith, when you realize of the work of the Spirit, of God in your life accomplished because of the blood of Jesus spilt at the cross that God could then work in your life as a result of the blood of Jesus on the cross God will work joy in your life and you can rejoice in the Lord does that make sense in here today I tell you what I think we ought to have just a moment and in our hearts and say God I just thank you for joy I thank you that I can rejoice in the Lord. I thank you that I can celebrate you, God. I thank you because you're celebrating me. I thank you, God, that you so loved me, Father. And therefore, today, God, I've got joy in my heart. And as Jesus said, no man can take this joy away from me. No situation, no plight, no person that walked away from me, no person that I had to bury, no situation of life can take that joy away from me. And then the apostle said... He said, when you get joy in your life and you get a little smile on your face, he said, then all of a sudden there is a stimulus in your heart that you can begin to pray, right? Because, see, if, you're, if your mind is, is being bound up by certain afflictions and situations and all of your hope is, and all of your thought process is on the situation rather than on God and on Christ, then not only do you not have joy, but you can't pray effectively. Is that right? Today, you can't get that breakthrough in prayer. But see, but when you're in harmony with God's man, you're in harmony with God's people, and you've got the joy of the Lord in your heart, then when you go to prayer, right, then you can go boldly into the throne room of grace, and you can begin to petition God. The Amplified Bible says we're to be unceasing and persistent in prayer. Let me say this to you about your prayer life. If God has laid something on your heart 
that it is his will and it's been revealed to you that this is the will of God and it's been weighed and balanced and you know it's the will of God, then I want to encourage you today, hold on to it. Don't let go of it. Don't let go of it because God is faithful. Come on, he is faithful. He will bring his word to pass. Listen, God doesn't work on your timetable. He works on his timetable. Those who through faith and patience, they will inherit the promises of God. I want to encourage you today. I don't believe that God means for us every time to continually ask him for the thing that he's promised. But I do believe he wants us to remind him of his promise. Well, when we go to God in prayer, we're saying, God, I want to remind you of what promise you made to me. And God, I haven't seen it come to pass yet. But I stand on this word today, knowing that the God that promised is the God that will fulfill. And I want to give you glory. See, I believe Paul is exhorting us to be in a continual state of prayer. I believe prayer is more than just a moment or a place or an altar. I believe prayer is a communion with God that's in your heart and mind. We're always under your breath as you're at work or play or fellowship. God is on your mind. Blessed is the man whose mind is stayed on the Lord. You're just continually communing with God under your breath. You're just talking to the Lord, thankful that he knows you. Jesus said this, the Father is with me always and he hears me always. How many of you know what a great comfort that is to us? To know the Father's with us today. So I want you to see a progression now. Let's continue. I keep going back to the progression. So now you've been a part of a body. You submitted yourself to pastors. There's an anointing that's flowing from them to your life. Now you're working effectively with those that are around you. God is working in your spirit because even when somebody did something evil to you, you didn't retaliate, but you showed good where that which was evil was shown to you. And therefore, you just began to rejoice, not in your, your, your surrounding circumstances, but you rejoice in Christ. And as you begin to rejoice in Christ, you gain a confidence in prayer, a smiles on your faith, a, a face, a confidence in your heart. You're approaching God and you're saying, God, I know that you're faithful. You promised this long ago. It hadn't come to pass yet. But God, you're not, you're watching over your word. Come on, you're watching over your word and you're going to perform it. And so it's a process. And then he said, and so in the midst of all that, in the midst of this, he said, in everything. So in everything then you need to give God thanks. For this is, what is it? It's the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is God's will for your life. Some of you came to church today saying, Pastor, I'm just searching for God's will in my life. Well, you just found it today. This is God's will for your life that you would give God thanks in everything. In everything, in every situation. To give God thanks is to have gratitude. It's to have an appreciation. It's to have a heartfelt expression of praise. Because in doing so, you know what you're doing? When you worship God that way with giving God thanks, you are recognizing the sovereignty of God. You're recognizing that God has you in his hand and he keeps you. The Bible says in the Psalms that unless the Lord keeps the house, the watchman waketh but in vain. I mean, no, God keeps his children. 
He keeps us in the palm of his hand. And when you give God thanks, then you are recognizing his sovereignty. This is not the only passage where the apostle Paul would exhort the faithful in the church to give thanks. He said in Ephesians 5, give thanks for all things unto God. He said in Colossians 3, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God and the Father through Christ. He said in Colossians 4 and 2, to continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. And I know that the apostle Paul, being a Jew and being studious in the Old Testament law, he was very familiar with that free will thank offering that we read about in the book of Leviticus. Whereas we can instruct you to give God thanks, but we can't give him thanks for you. We can't compel you. We can't make you. We can't force you. All we can do is encourage you. But I want you to know there's a blessing that's waiting on those that learn not to be silent, that learn to give God thanks. David said it this way, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and I will enter into his courts with praise. I will be thankful and I will bless his name. Paul said in this passage in 1 Thessalonians, in everything. Can you do that today? Can you give God thanks in everything in every situation that you're going through, no matter what you're going through, no matter your present plight, you can give God thanks. You can because God's got you in the palm of his hand. I'm telling you, if you search hard enough, you can find multiple reasons in the most darkest hour of your life to still be thankful unto God. You can be thankful to his goodness and to his grace. Now, in this passage of scripture, I'm going to show you something that God showed me that I believe he wanted me to share with you. And this is the hinge or the tipping point on the rest of the text that will unfold the mystery that I brought to this pulpit that I believe God has sparked in my heart to share with you. This is the key. Real quickly, think for a moment. The, the little nuggets that the apostle is closing this letter with. Think back to the letter that I told you about, the practical sense. Mom and dad's leaving. They're leaving the final little exhortation to their son or daughter concerning the house. Take out the trash. Feed the dog. Make sure you lock the doors at night. No partying while I'm gone. No partying while I'm here. Paul is doing the same thing. He's telling us as he's just writing these last little nuggets here. If you notice carefully that each principle builds upon the previous principle. They're not standing alone. Though there is a depth in each one singular, in, in its singular application, but it needs the previous verse to gain the fullest strength. And then once it's established, it promotes or it prompts you into the next principle so let's go further as we as we again put this together i'm going to live a life in harmony with my church if you're contentious shame on you repent before god don't live life with contention my god i would hate to want to be i just wouldn't want to live life that way a sour disposition always critical of everybody, always critical, can't say anything good about anybody. You know what you need? You need the altar. You need to repent before God because God doesn't want you to live life that way. God didn't make you the judge over everybody. Man, just get a smile on your face and live life for the glory of God. And so he said, I'm going to live in harmony with my church and my pastor. I'm going to comfort, strengthen, and warn those that I love. I'm not going to return evil for evil that's shown to me. I'm going to learn to rejoice in Jesus. 
I'm going to just think about his goodness, his mercy, his kindness, his grace. I'm going to think about the love of God exhibited in the person of Jesus. And every now and then, I'm just going to close my eyes, and I'm going to picture Jesus Christ. No matter what my, he looks like in the theater of my mind, I'm going to see him walking on a Galilean seaside. I'm going to see him parting the waters or walking on the waters, calming the storm. I'm going to see him opening blind eyes and unstopping deaf ears. I'm going to see him. I'm going to picture him because when I see him by the eye of faith, I love him. Glory to God. There's something in my heart that's compelled to love him. So I'm going to rejoice in Jesus. And in doing so, I become emboldened to pray. I become emboldened to pray and to pray fervently and to pray persistently and to pray in, pray in faith. And out of my prayer life, I suddenly begin to burst forth in thanksgiving to God. And so instead of in my prayer life going over and over again over my petition or my request in the midst of my prayer, I suddenly become overwhelmed by the supernatural presence of God and I just want to give God thanks. So out of my prayer life now because I've got confidence before God, I'm walking before Him in faith, the Holy Spirit's working in my life, I'm rejoicing evermore, I'm praying without ceasing and in the midst of praying without ceasing, I suddenly say, God, I just want to give you praise. I want to thank you, God. I want to lift my hands. I want to clap my hands. I want to run, shout, sing, and dance. I want to rejoice before the Lord who is my maker. Glory to God. It's flowing out of the Spirit of God that's in your life. Hallelujah to his name. Now, in this, in this, let me show you this real quickly. Here is a powerful transition. It's a powerful transition in the 19th verse. The apostle said, quench not the Spirit. Now, if you'll put this together and read it in a different, not context, but from a different angle. As I am thankful to God, I don't quench the Spirit. So, let's think about that on the flip side. If you are unthankful, if you complain, if you moan and groan and begrudge, you're bottling up. The Spirit of God in your life. Now, typically, there are, stay with me, church family, there are two analogies that usually are associated with the work of the Spirit of God in your life. Many of you raised your hand a few moments ago and talked about how we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Two biblical analogies. One is a flow like water, like a river. Right? Another is a fire. Here, it's the reference is a fire. Don't quench it, let it burn. You can also look at it the same way with the flow. Let it flow. Don't let it get stopped up. Is that right? So here the apostle is saying, again, if you put it in its proper context, see, because if you're thankful, then you're not complaining. If you're thankful in everything and thankful for everything that God's done in your life. I believe that when Ruth was gleaning in the field of Boaz, having returned from the land of Moab, impoverished and there to sustain and to strengthen Naomi. I believe the very first day that she walked through the field with Boaz and she found that Boaz had given instruction to the laborers to cause, the Bible says, to leave handfuls of purpose of the harvest left behind in the corners of the field that she might go out and glean it and put it in a basket and then take it back to Naomi. I believe she was thankful before God. 
you got to learn to thank God for even the smallest things in your life. That God loves you enough to just bless your life with little nuggets of truth and grace and blessing and favor. And when you are thankful, I'm telling you, not only are you not quenching the Spirit, but what you're doing is you're allowing the Spirit to flow. And that's the Christian you want to be. You want to be the Christian that has the flow of the Spirit of God in his heart and life. And I know one thing that will aid you is this, and that is if you have a song in your heart, if you have a song in your heart, you have worship in your heart and your mind and your spirit, a thankfulness in your heart and in your mouth and in your mind is an attitude that the Spirit of God is going to flow in your life and it's going to flow freely through you. I believe that as the Spirit of God begins to flow through your life, look, notice this, notice the, 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 these transition points. Quench not the Spirit, despise not prophesying. As you are yielding your life to the work of the Holy Spirit, not only are you not quenching the Spirit, Spirit, but now the Spirit of God is speaking. Now the Spirit of God is flowing. Now the Spirit of God is prophesying. I believe in a prophetical word. I believe in prophetical unction. I believe I ought to live my life with a prophetical unction in my life. I don't believe God has sent us here to just be uh, literary, that God wants us to just try to find him in knowledge, but that we find him by the work of the Holy Spirit who dwells on the inside of us. And when the Spirit of God is flowing in my life, so I want you to follow this pattern with me. I'm trying to show you something that God put in my heart. So if I'm in harmony with my pastor, I'm in harmony with my church, and even though I have shown good and some people have recompensed evil, I'm not going to retaliate and I've learned not to be grown or begrudge or to mumble and complain but to give God praise and thanks and worship and adoration I'm praying fervently and as I'm praying fervently I've learned to give God thanks and I'm celebrating and I'm rejoicing and as I do so all of a sudden the unction of God that's on the inside of me begins to flow out and a prophetical work of the Holy Spirit begins to flow through me and sometimes it flows through me to me and sometimes it flows through others to my own life. And sometimes I'm the conduit that God has chosen to bless somebody else. Because even in the midst of hardship, I got joy. And they see that in my life. And they trust me because I'm in the middle of a difficult day. And I'm still not complaining. I'm still not moaning, moaning and, and begroaning or begrudging the situation. I'm walking in the spirit. And they say, man, what you got must be real. Because anybody else that was in a situation just like you are, they would be downcast and disheartened. But you've got the joy of the Lord. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And the Spirit of God is flowing freely and fervently in our lives. And God, are y'all hearing what? That is good. That's good because we're not quenching the Spirit. And because when the Spirit of God is flowing in your life, everything around you is subject to change. It is. It's the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to despise it. I'm going to receive it. I believe in a prophetical word. I believe in an unction of God and that God can quicken words in our hearts. We are far too often trying to do this Christian walk in the carnality of our flesh. God's called us to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So ought we not long and desire the work of his Holy Spirit? So as we start angling towards closing, look at this 21st verse. He says, so don't, profit, don't, don't despise. And he said, now, so don't, don't quench the Spirit. Let the Spirit of God flow. He said, and then there are going to be prophetical words. And he said, and when you get those prophetical words, you got to prove them. Hold fast to that which is good. I learned to test and prove the words of the Spirit of God. Because as you learn to test and prove the words of the Spirit of God, then you can recognize them against when you hear error. Is that important? 
I've learned in my Christian walk that many times people will speak out of personal conviction rather than prophetical unction. And it's not the will of God. And you've got to have a discerning eye or a discerning ear and be able to hear God's voice. And that's why you let go of that which is wrong and you hold to that which is good. And when you hold to that which is good, I'm telling you, it will keep something stirring in your heart that you're believing God for in your life. And you're saying, God, I hadn't received it yet, but you promised it. You prophesied it to me, and it's going to come to pass. Lastly, as we transition, let's follow this down. So 22nd verse. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Isn't it amazing that when the Spirit of God is working in your life and you're prophesying and flowing in the Spirit, that you can quickly and easily, there's a desire in your heart to avoid carnality, sinful situations, wickedness. I'm abstaining from every appearance of evil. This work of the Spirit has fanned in my heart the desire to give God thanks, and it's resulted in me making conscious decisions to abstain from every evil work and even the appearance of evil. And look at the 23rd verse. We're going to stop at the 24th. In the 23rd verse, he said, and so Paul said, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, 24th verse. If he's called you, then he will also do it. Now, let's see. Let's see if we can summarize and put this in its proper application before we conclude in here today. I believe perhaps the hinge of this passage is that we as believers realize that it is the will of God for us to learn to give God thanks. It is God's will. But I want you to see it in its proper application as we close here today. God loves us, church family, so much. And he wants you to walk in a conformity to his will. He wants you to reflect his great grace to a lost and dying world. He wants you to live your life for the glory of God. So Paul's given us just exhortations here that if we follow these exhortations, they seem practical on the external. But the more you think about them and you look at them closely, you realize they have a deep spiritual principle tied to them that will unlock a river of life inside you. The first begins real quickly in summary is that you need to submit to pastoral leadership. You need to have a pastor. You need to have more than a preacher. You need to have more than somebody gives you a sermon. You need to have a pastor. You need to have somebody you're connected to that you know that you know them, you know their character, you know their faithfulness, and you're submitted. You willfully submit yourselves to them because you've recognized the call of God in their life. I didn't make this up. I'm not saying this because I'm trying to control anybody. That's not my nature. It's not who I am. I'm saying this because that's the biblical exhortation in the Word of God. The biblical exhortation is that we as the sheep, that we submit ourselves to leaders that God's placed over us out of his sincere love for us to watch for your soul. And one day we will give account before God. We will give account of whether or not we've managed you properly before God. So I encourage you in the name of Jesus, find your place deeper. If you're on the fringe, get off the fringe and get into the heart of the fellowship. Get in the heart of the fellowship. And as you do so, then you begin to know one another. You get acquaintances that then become friendships. And then friendships become deep relationships. And then those deep relationships become blood brothers and sisters in Christ that is tighter than your even sometimes your own personal family. Come on. Is that right? And so now, and even in the midst of that, we're teaching one another. We're exhorting one another. We're, we're ministering to one another in that whole process. And then as I'm living life that way, I began to realize, you know what? It's the will of God for me to have joy. 
that, that there's a joy in God that will lift your countenance that no medicine can help you with, right? right? That the medicine can't give you the joy I'm talking about. I'm talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in your life revealing to you the person of Christ. And when you have a fresh revelation of who Jesus is and you become a bona fide, as I've said it many times, sold out Jesus freak, right? Where you are sold out to Jesus, you will rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And as you rejoice, it gives you a confidence to pray. And you pray unceasing. You stand in the gap. You make up the hedge. You pray for your family, for your situation. You're unmovable in faith. You know if God promised it, he is faithful to watch over his word. And in the midst of your prayer time, as you pray and intercede, all of a sudden you become overwhelmed by a work of the Holy Spirit in your life that says, God, I want to give you thanks. Oh, God, I just want to learn to give you thanks. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? As you do so, the dam breaks. As you do so, what was bottling you up uh, suddenly breaks and the Spirit of God begins to flow out of your life. And the prophetical utterances of the Spirit of God that have been bottled up inside you begin to flow. And that life-giving water begins to change things around you. Out with the bemoaning, out with the grudging and the, and the moaning and the complaining and the mourning and in with that which is good and gracious and godly. And you worship God in spirit. And then you become a vessel that you're able to minister to one another are y'all hearing what i'm saying your life is ordered by the work of his holy spirit in your heart and life and then it leads you to making better decisions see because before you were living life like the gentiles with a carnal mind making poor decisions but now you're learning to follow the leading of the holy spirit are y'all hearing what i'm saying today and now you're making better decisions. And I'm telling you, better decisions produce better consequences. Better consequences produce peace in your life. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I just, I know I shouldn't say that. I condemn myself occasionally. I hear myself preach. Why do you say y'all so much? I guess it's because I'm in the hill country. And if I was in Fox, I would say Ewans. But since I'm not, I'm down here in Hebrew, I'm going to say y'all. I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to y'all. I want you to know that's the will of God for you. Is that the Spirit of God has this liberty in your heart and life. Is there one thing that could be the hinge? Give God thanks. Won't y'all stand up with me today? God, we are so thankful. Is that right today, church family?